We are in a moment going to be reading from Genesis chapter 16, and then later on we're going to be taking a look at a few verses from chapter 21 of Genesis also. As always, when I began to think about speaking, and when I began to think about Mother's Day, I was flooded with ideas and thoughts, and it changed quite a lot of times, and um, I had to sift through a lot of stuff and then decide um, on some things. And to be honest, the woman who I have chosen to speak about today isn't probably a normal Mother's Day candidate. But what I love about her is that her story is real, that it's raw, that she is vulnerable, And there's so much that we can learn from her. And to be honest, today I'll probably only scratch the surface of that. So Joel, our Joel loves a good joke. Um, We do have to listen to them quite often, don't we? It's it's great. But here, I'm not sure how you feel about this one, but here's one anyway. So a little boy was talking with the girl next door. I wonder what my mum would like for Mother's Day, he said. The girl answered, well... You could promise to keep your room clean and tidy. You could go to bed as soon as you're told without any complaints. You could brush your teeth without being told. And you could quit fighting with your sisters at the dinner table. The little boy looked up at her, really puzzled, and said, No, I mean something practical. So, (laughs) was it all right, Joel? No, not sure? Nah, not impressed. He didn't smile. But sure, anyway, that's okay. <laughs> but there are, very, there are very few things that each of us in this room, that all of us have in common. In fact, I wouldn't say that there is anything except one thing, okay? We were all children, okay? The fact is that at one time, we were all children, And one thing that I have learned about kids, although to be fair, the more I'm mother, the less I think I know, um, but that's okay. One thing is that kids love to be watched. When I was younger, my cousins and I used to subject our parents to torturous shows. I'm not sure if any of you have done that too, where they have to watch you, applaud, nod, and all in the right occasions at the right times. And as parents, Neil and I have been to see Hannah and Rebecca and Joel in school plays, on the sports field, at concerts, speech festivals, road races, and on and on. And we too have been subjected to um, quite a few shows. But the thing is, and why I say this, is that children love to be noticed. They love to be acknowledged when something is achieved, and they love to be heard and in some cases, the really long stories have to be heard. But anyway, it is presented in so many different ways, in so many different shapes and sizes. But ultimately, what they want is to be known, to be seen, to be valued. And I believe that that is true for all of us. We want to be known. We want to be seen. I do that? No, back, sorry. Recently, I was at a women's conference and I had the privilege of being able to pray into the situations in some of the ladies' lives. And while there was an array of things that people were requesting prayer for, one resounding theme, one thing that went throughout was that there was this sense of wanting to be seen. 
of wanting to be known. And I'm just going to launch right in here at the start. And I'm going to communicate a truth to each of us this morning in this room. Whether we are male or whether we are female, it is one that needs to be heard. And if you sit here this morning, if you're here in church and you feel unseen or unknown or unworthy, please know that there is one who understands you completely. One who is in pursuit of you. El Roy, the God who sees you, the one who loved you before the foundations of the world, one who wants to communicate with you this morning. And so I urge you um, that whatever is going on in your hearts and in your minds, to allow him to do that. There's a verse in Isaiah, um, and it is, I, I actually take a little thing that used to be in Joel's room here. And it's it's verse 16 of chapter 49. And it says, we're graven on the palms of his hands. I am. You are never out of his mind. There's not a moment when his eye is off you or his attention is distracted from you. There is not one moment where God's care for you falters. You know, God loves the complex people as well as the easy to love people, whoever they are. (laughs) But there are so many different examples of women in the Bible um, and the way that Jesus really saw them, the way that he really knew them and how he instructed and loved them. There was Mary and Martha, there was Hannah, there was the woman at the well. I could go on. But as for all of these women... God sees the life that each individual in this church this morning has come out of. But you know what? More than that, he sees the life that you're going into. And God wants to be invited um, on this journey with you. So in order to open that up a little bit, we're going to look at and explore the story of Hagar. Hagar's story is a bit of a subplot of the greater story of Abraham. But it holds so much significance in the way this story unfolds. And there's so much learning in it. And I think I say this a lot when I speak, but I do because I believe it. That no matter who we are and no matter what part we have to play in God's bigger picture, we need to be faithful in that. We need to walk in the way that he created specifically for us, not for someone else, but specifically for us. Whether it holds renown on this earth or not. We need to be bold in sharing our stories, the good parts and the bad parts, in order to bring glory to God and to point people towards his kingdom. So we're going to look at verse 1 of Genesis 16, and this is the first time that the Bible mentions Hagar. And just for reference, this story is before Abraham's name is changed, so he is Abram still here. And um, God's promised him the blessing of offspring, of land, of protection, and of renown. And he was going to be blessed in order to bless. But it didn't just go quite straightforward. So verse 1 of 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bore him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go to my maid, and perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram hated the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took her Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. 
So he went to Hagar and she conceived. And when Hagar knew that she had conceived, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid to your embrace. And when she saw she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed your maid is in your hand. Do with her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her and Hagar fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son and you shall call him Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. Then down to verse 13, it said, Then she called the name of the Lord to who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen the God who sees me? Verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son Ishmael. So from what I can see at the beginning of our text, Hagar didn't really have a choice in this matter. She becomes pregnant with Abram's first child. And I don't know, maybe it was because she resented the situation that Sarai had forced her into, Or because, actually because of the traditions of the day, Hagar now knew that she actually had a wee bit more social clout than Sarah did um, because she was pregnant with the patriarch's offspring. But Hagar, for various reasons, began treating Sarah with contempt. She began to despise her and she began to act out of a heart of despising. So... Sarai panicked, she retaliated, and she treated Hagar so harshly that Hagar actually had to flee to the desert. The first thing that I see here actually is, in this situation, neither of these women started out with this in their hearts, but circumstances led them to behave and to act like this. So Hagar has now fled to the desert. But God saw the whole thing and had compassion on Hagar. And while she was in the desert, beside a spring of water, the angel of the Lord appears to her and talks to her. And she tells him that she is running away from her mistress. And I am sure she was looking a wee bit of maybe sympathy or a wee bit of like validation or in that. But what did the angel of the Lord say to her? Go back to your mistress and submit to her. I think returning to her mistress was probably the last thing that Hagar actually wanted to do. And more than that, it was the last thing she wanted to hear as a command from the angel of the Lord. But you know what? She doesn't fight it. She knows that something spectacular has happened here. She has had great faith. And she knows that this is actually for her good. So despite any fears that she may have or any embarrassments that she may have, she returns to her mistress and she bears Abram's son and he was named Ishmael. If we fast forward a few chapters um, 
again in Genesis 21, we will see here, this is after God has changed um, Abraham and Sarah's, Sarah's names. But Isaac has now been born to Abraham. And Abraham is now preparing a huge feast to celebrate Isaac being weaned. Now, in those days, weaning probably meant a little bit different than it did for us. Um, so he really could have been between the ages of two and four at this stage. And they're having this celebration. And Ishmael, by this stage, if we're going to like look and take all of the, the timelines and everything, he was definitely over 10. So he was, he was the boy that should have known better and should have behaved. Um, but we see here, if we read in Genesis 21, that Sarah saw Ishmael was scoffing at Isaac. Okay, so in the Hebrew, the interpretation of this word scoffing could actually mean one of two things. It could have meant that he was playing jestfully with, having a wee bit of a you know, gentle tease, you know, the way siblings do with each other sometimes. Um, he could have been gently teasing him, or he actually could have been making fun of him. And um, the way that the, the interpretation comes, um, but nonetheless, regardless of how he was doing it, Sarah saw him making fun of Ishmael, of Isaac, sorry, and it evoked a reaction within her. And I began to think about this, and I, and I pose this question to any mothers that, that are sitting here this morning. Um, how many times has fear, or perhaps dislike of how another child has treated ours, or even in the home when one sibling has a go at the other, um, how has that maybe caused us to react negatively or maybe even without thought? And I think that Sarah did this here. And I think that she was so afraid um, that Ishmael would take Isaac's inheritance. Even though she knew God's promise, I think she was afraid that he was going to take the inheritance. So she demands that Abraham gets rid of Hagar and of Ishmael. And we read in verse 14 of chapter 1 that yet again, Hagar finds herself in the desert because she's been put there with only some water, um, only some food and water strapped to her back. So she is in the desert again and she is wandering around aimlessly. And then the unthinkable actually happens. They run out of water. You're in a desert what is the one thing that you need? Water. And they ran out. Here is the point then where Ishmael is placed under a bush by Hagar and she steps away from him because she does not want to watch her son die. I cannot even imagine the absolute despair that Hagar would have been experiencing because it was inevitable to her that they were both going to die. They had no water and she just could not bear to watch this happen to her son. At this point of Hagar's story, my heart sinks with grief for her, for her losses, and for the terrifying outcome that was set before her. But once again, God steps in. Elroy, the God who saw her, still sees her and steps in. And in verse 17 to 20 of Genesis 21, it says... God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? 
Do not be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. I love this part. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. God reaffirms his promise to Hagar that Ishmael is going to be the father of a great nation. But God remains so faithful to Hagar in this moment and for the rest of her life. And I'm just going to take a few more moments to just glean a few points that we can take from this story. And so kids, if you see on your sermon notes and remember your points, we're going to look at the first one. And the word was says, but I want you to add in here is that God sees us. And then if you see this word up here on the screen, El Roy, okay? So this is a word that means the God who sees me. We're all born with a need to be looked after by our caregiver for them to see us and to hear us. And this changes as we grow up. We have different needs, but we always need our caregiver to be in tune with our needs, with what we're experiencing. And so I think it's so beautiful and powerful that this kind of language is used throughout the story of Hagar. So Ishmael, we were hearing from some of the names that Lydia and Hannah read out, um, the who is she, we, we heard what some of the ladies' names meant. And Ishmael means God hears. In Genesis 16 and verse 11, it tells us that God commanded, you should name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. And later when Ishmael was put under the bush and left to die, um, God reassures Hagar, to not be afraid because she's heard the boy crying because he has heard the boy crying. Hagar was a lonely slave girl. She'd been forced from her home. She'd been forced to bear a child. She'd been treated so harshly by Sarah that she needed to run away to escape. And effectively, her humanity was questioned in so many ways and she was so very vulnerable and I'm sure she felt very invisible. And yet, and yet, Elroy, God saw her. While she was in the wilderness, Hagar encounters God. And you know what? I love this. She is called by name from the very beginning. He actually calls her by name. And not only does he call her by name, he engages in conversation and speaks specific details to her. So if you remember what I said at the start about God knowing our names, but it's so much more than that. Um, and I know I'm reminding you of things that you know this morning, but perhaps for the first time, some people will take this into their heart and know that God does know your name, that he does want to engage in conversation with you, that he is so very, very interested in every single detail of your lives. He wants to have conversations specifically, individually, and intentionally with you. And whether that's for the first time this morning as you sit here and you hear that and you know the story um, of the crucifixion and of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and perhaps this morning is the morning where you will actually surrender to that. And if you have more questions about that or you want to talk about that, come and have a chat with me afterwards.
Or perhaps you've already walked with God for a long time and you just need reminded that he, he does care about every detail of your life, the said and the unsaid, the seen and the unseen. And you know, Hagar saw this aspect of God so clearly and with such importance that she gives him the name El Roy, the God who sees me, the one who looks after me. And in moments of grief, of despair and of, certain, of uncertainty for Hagar, she felt seen by God. And then as a result of being seen, she felt that she had the courage to return to her master's house. I think it probably would have made a sense for Hagar to have a wee bit of an argument with the angel of the Lord saying, I don't really want to go back there. Send me anywhere else. I will do anything else. I will go anywhere else. Um, but she doesn't actually do that because she is beginning to trust Yahweh. She is beginning to trust God with her future. And God didn't just see her and hear her and do nothing about it. He kept his promises and he did make Ishmael a great nation and he provided for Hagar in so, so many ways. And he does the same for each of us and he wants to do that on our journey with us. And perhaps this morning it's going to take a little bit of courage to step into what you think God is saying to your heart. The second statement, guys, was provides. And I want you to add God provides to that. The first time that Hagar encounters the angel of the Lord, she is in the desert and she's beside a spring of water. But the second time we heard when she was in the desert, there was no water to be found. And when she is already given up, the angel of the Lord appears in Genesis 21 and verse 19 and it says that God opened her eyes and she saw a well full of water. Can you imagine that? So here she is. She has been in so much despair that she has put her son underneath a bush to die, to leave him there. And then, then the angel of the Lord appears. She opens her eyes and there is a well of water. She was able to keep herself and her son alive and they continued to live a fulfilling life and you can read more about that. It's true that sometimes in our lives, God waits on our faith to work. But you know what? He is a good father and he saw Hagar had given up and was completely destitute and he stepped in and he provided exactly what she needed. There's nothing that you could need more in the desert than water. And there would be no sight more welcome than a well full of it. God made the impossible happen for Hagar out of his great love for you, for her. And he can do the same for us. And this story, um, your impossible may not be a physical well of water. But it might be something else physical that you need. That might be your impossible. Um, you know what it could be if, if this is resonating with your heart. Perhaps it's a healing or it's a help in some way. Perhaps it's instruction. But I want to be able to communicate to you this morning that the Lord does want to bless you, that he is a good, good father, and that sometimes, like this story of Hagar and the greater story of Abraham, it doesn't always go straight, um, but the Lord is there, and he's watching, and he sees, and he wants to provide. He can sometimes take us to an uncomfortable place or, or create a slower pace in life 
to refocus our hearts. And um, I, some of you will know that I ended up in hospital over a year ago. Um, and at the time, I was a little bit like, why, why is this happening? And um, I was a wee bit cross. And I did feel like I was in a wee bit of a wilderness at the start. Um, but I fully believe that God did that so that he could quiet me for a while, so that he could capture my heart and my attention. And in that time, he shifted something within me that required me to surrender weaknesses and to totally lean into him, to give him my trust and my hope and my time so that he could do something that actually seemed quite impossible. God will find you in your wilderness, but will you trust him with the cry of your heart? Will you lean into him? God's intervention for Hagar didn't end after he heard her cry. He stayed intimately involved in hers and Ishmael's lives. And right in the middle of everything, God demonstrated his interest and his intentional care for this overlooked mum and her child. God blesses unexpectedly and overabundantly. He comes through in the end. Our God is the God who sees us. He's not against us. And he gave of his son Jesus to save us and he will never leave us and forsake us. He will provide, sustain, empower. He'll heal, he'll restore, he'll redeem and he will even vindicate for he is our father and we are his children. Another name, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So the third point then on your sheets, guys, was the word, was faithful to the outcast. And I just want to take a few minutes to communicate how God was faithful to this outcast. Hagar had so many things going against her. She was a slave. She was a foreigner. She was hated by a woman in power. And in all of the day, the things of the day, Hagar really didn't have things going for her. Her son was Abraham's, Abraham's first son, but he wasn't chosen to carry God's covenant. She was an outsider in every single way. Yet God treats her with favor, and he treats her with kindness, and so much so that she gets to be a person who names God. She gets to call him El Roy, the God who sees me, because she saw him, because he saw her. And in very simple terms, I think it would be easy to have seen Isaac as the popular kid and Ishmael as the unpopular kid or um, the loser. But even though Ishmael was not who God had chose to carry the descendants, God clearly stuck by him. He freed him and he blessed him. And that got me thinking that sometimes in life we can all feel a little bit at times like the loser next to the popular kid. But this story reminds us that not only do we have a God who loves us, whichever one of those kids we are, but he is a God who advocates for the outcast. He is a God who models a way to love the outcast and encourages us to do the same. And so the fourth one on your sheet um, is that God still works even when we go off plan. We can see through Hagar's story that God is powerful and that he will still find ways to love us and to glorify himself even when we don't stick to his original plan. And I love that about God is that he may um, have a way for us to go and we will go off it at times, but he will still work it out for, for his good 
and for our good. And the only reason that Hagar found herself in the situation she was in was because Sarah and Abraham's faith wavered a little bit. They did not think that God was doing this in time and that they were going to have an offspring. Sarah blamed God. And so her and Abraham attempt to make God's promise come true in their own strength. And in that way, I suppose Ishmael should never really have been born. But he was. Had Sarah remained faithful to God's provision, um, they would have had Isaac. But yet, God still keeps his promises. Ishmael was born. And even though it wasn't part of the plan, God still kept his promises. The story of Hagar offers so much hope for us today. Um, She shows us where to find God. She shows us how God sees us. She shows us how God works out things for his glory and for our good. She models courage in difficult circumstances. And it just made me think, how often do we allow our emotions or our pride or perhaps at times our tongues to get away from us? And then once we're face to face with the consequence of our choices, how often do we want to run away? Who among us has never doubted God's promises? Who among us has not perhaps felt contempt for another person or suffered in a really hopeless circumstance? No matter how far off God's plan we may veer, he always welcomes us back. His arms are open. His hand is extended. And like I said at the start, there's never a moment that his eye is off us. And just as God truly saw Hagar, every detail, every strength, every flaw, he sees you. He sees me. And in spite of our imperfections, he loves us unconditionally and completely. His love is so amazing amazing and incredibly perfect that there's nothing that can describe it. Nothing comes close. But you know what the best thing is? Is he wants each and every one of us to experience that love. It's there. It's waiting for us. All we have to do is show him that we know that he is the God who sees us. El Roy watches over us more than we can possibly comprehend. Perhaps we need to take some time to focus on this. Weakness can become a wonderful opportunity for the Spirit to work in our lives. And being entirely dependent on God to supply all of our needs is the kind of weakness that leads to a massive place of blessing. In verse, 16 of ch- or verse 13 of chapter 16, Hagar said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? And I pose this question as I finish. Have I truly seen the one who sees me? He's provided... Um, so many ways that we can get to know him and his word is there for us to delve into have i truly seen the one who sees me have you will we trust him with the cry of our hearts will we allow his spirit to work within us individually specifically and intentionally i'm just going to finish by praying um, and just hope that some of the stuff that god revealed in my heart will have connected with you this morning as we have just very briefly explored Elroy, the God who sees us. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are Elroy, the God who sees us, the God who sees each face, each need, each cry of each heart in this room. 
Father, I just pray that when we feel ushered to the sidelines or we feel forgotten, that you would help us to remember that you are actually working behind the scenes and that your eye is never off us. Help us to lean into you and to trust the cry, trust that you would hear the cry of our hearts, God. Help us to know that we can never stray too far from you. Help us to remember that you provide for us, that you empower us, that you heal us, that you restore us, that you can redeem us. And Father, we pray that we would be entirely dependent upon you and your plan for our lives. Father, we pray that you, we would allow you to um, have your spirit work within us. And today that we would know what you are saying to us, God, to our individual hearts. And that, God, we would be open to allow you to act in accordance with what it is that you say, Father. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship with you. And Father, we pray, Lord, as has been read out at the start, God, that um, for anyone, Lord, who is experiencing grief or heartache, Lord, who feels, God, um, like the outcast or feels like they have gone off path, Father God, I pray that you would just minister to our hearts this morning. Father God, I thank you for each person here and I thank you for each child in this room also, God. And Father Lord, I just pray, Lord, that as we will continue on our path with you, Lord, as we would continue to be in the plot of our journeys or of our pictures or however that looks, God, that we will reach out to you, Lord. We will know that your eye is never off us and that we will extend our hand to reach yours, God. Father, pray, pray that you would just bless us all. In Jesus' name.